On this episode of AvTalk, Iran's civil aviation organization details the chain of events that led to the downing of Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752. The NTSB issues its report on the Atlas Air 3591 crash. And U.S. airlines begin backing away from ambitious recovery plans as COVID-19 cases are again on the rise. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Urbanowitz. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hello, Jason. I'm doing well. How are you, sir? I'm good. The same as the last episode, the one before that, before that, before that, before that, before that. But I don't know. That's all I got. If we go back far enough in the episode catalog, there are actual episodes where we are traveling. Weird. It has become weird at this point. I keep seeing people talking about taking their first trip since. And I mean, I'm looking forward to getting back on a plane eventually. I really want to get back on a plane eventually. But right now, I have no desire to get on a plane and do the airport plane experience. I am very much in the same camp as you right now. I kind of feel bad about that as an geek. But I just don't have a desire to experience the current way of flying. No, as badly as I want to travel somewhere, really anywhere at this point, we're pretty much limited to flying domestically and flying anywhere outside of New York seems like a bad idea right about now. We're just at the point here that I at least feel comfortable riding the subway again, let alone the entire transit experience of going to an airport, flying and dealing with hotels or someone else's house and all that. And really everything I've seen from the flying experience right now, it is not up to my personal expectations of, is it safe yet? Which is really difficult to say because you know my livelihood revolves around people flying since you know my day job is I work for a company that is owned by airlines. And if airlines aren't flying and making money, they don't really need us. So it's very contradictory, but I don't feel comfortable flying because there are too many people out there not taking it seriously, not wearing a mask, not socially distancing. It's concerning and I want nothing to do with it right now. I think what we need to do is just rent some time on the next satellite launch. And we could just launch ourselves into space, problem solved. Ah, but you have to get yourself to the launch site. I wonder how much it would be to ship myself to a satellite launch facility. If you know how much, uh, (laughs) I'm going to do some research on that. We'll we'll get get to to French Guiana. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I guess we'll revisit this on an ongoing basis when we eventually feel comfortable flying, and we'll go from there. The past couple weeks have seen a lot of things happening as far as the issuance of reports of things past. We're recording the 14th of July, so today was the NTSB board meeting regarding the Atlas Air Flight 3591 that crashed into Trinity Bay in Texas in February of 2019. There was a report about an incident that could have been much, much worse in July 2018 regarding a Royal Air Maroc ATR. And then what I think we'll start with was the factual report that the Iranian Civil Aviation Organization issued regarding the downing of Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752. This is not a final report, so it doesn't have a probable cause. However, it 
had a missile fired upon it and then crashed. So, I mean, that's the cause we know, but the factual report lays out the chain of events and they have a wonderful graphic that is an actual chain in the report, the chain of events that led to the downing of PS752. So basically, this occurred on the early morning hours of 8 January, the beginning of this year, after the Iranian military goes on heightened alert because of responses. They're responding with missiles to the killing of Iranian general by the US. So tensions are high. The Iranian military takes over the clearance of flights in the area so that they know there are passenger flights in the area. That is designed to make sure that a civilian airliner doesn't get shot down. And that was one of the first steps that didn't work. So what happened was, is the aircraft is cleared to depart and is following a correct trajectory. And we've discussed this in the past as far as looking at ADSB data from that particular flight previously, as well as all of the other flights that left that morning. And there was nothing out of the ordinary that the ADSB data was showing us. The first chain of events that the Iranian report lays out is that they relocated one of the air defense units. So basically a missile battery was moved and they failed to recalibrate it. So what was actually a departure from the southeast, it saw as an incursion from the southwest. So very stupid, very minor mistake that had such incredible consequences. Right. So at this point, this particular missile operator sees the aircraft as not a 737 climbing out of Tehran Airport, but coming at it from the southwest. So it targets the aircraft, and then the operator is supposed to notify the command center of what it sees, of what the missile battery is seeing, and to get more information and authorization to identify the particular target and fire if necessary. They never got in touch with the command center. And then the operator didn't identify the target as a passenger aircraft. So having incorrectly identified the target and not having heard back from the coordination center, the missile operator fired a missile at what he perceived to be a threatening target, but was in fact a passenger aircraft. And so this first missile is, according to the report, the missile that not necessarily impacted the aircraft, but exploded near enough to the aircraft to disable the aircraft. And then following basically a 180 degree turn to the right, the aircraft crashed a few minutes later. As every incident we've ever discussed, a lot goes wrong for a crash to occur. And this was no different. It just wasn't in the aircraft, it was on the ground. Not anything completely unexpected here that there was just a complete failure of process and really any secure procedures, much like the Malaysian jet that went down the 777. This is also just terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. At any point along the way, this could have been prevented. Yeah. Just absolute senseless loss of life. So this is a factual report. It doesn't get into all of the details, and certainly the investigation is still ongoing. We still haven't had the readout from either the flight data recorder or the cockpit voice recorder. That's supposed to occur next week in France. So hopefully that will 
provide even more evidence regarding what was happening on the aircraft and what was happening before that as far as the cockpit voice recorder is concerned. So hopefully we'll, we'll know more and then we'll eventually see a final report. But I think it's some worthwhile reading to read about the chain of events that occurred here. The NTSB held their public meeting today on the Atlas Air Flight 3591-767 crash. That occurred on February 23rd, 2019. And there not a lot of new information. We had gotten most of it out of the public docket that the NTSB publishes, which is you know, thousands of pages of information from the data recorders, witness interviews, safety reporting, and things of that nature. So there's not a ton of new information, but they lay it out in a very frank conversation. And the thing that, and Jason, we've talked about this before, that I love about the NTSB is how single focused they are on safety and accident investigation in general, how the single focus, it's not blame, it's not deciding who's at fault or anything. It's understanding what caused the crash and then finding ways to fix that. Exactly. Their entire process is find out what happened, find out why it happened, and find out how to prevent it from ever happening again. And the NTSB has a history of not pulling any punches when it comes to calling out other regulators that could have done more to prevent an accident or a crash or what have you, depending on the type of vessel we're talking about. But one of the things that the NTSB does in their report today, or the abstract that, that will come ahead of the report, is that it takes the FAA to task for not meeting deadlines for already issued regulations. This isn't necessarily safety recommendations that the NTSB thinks that the FAA should implement, though there are about 12 that the NTSB believes should be implemented surrounding this particular crash, not necessarily because of it, because six of the 12 are previous safety recommendations that haven't been implemented. But one of the things that the NTSB says, and I'll quote the NTSB abstract here, is that the NTSB found that had the FAA met the deadline and complied with the requirements for implementing the pilot records database as stated in Section 203 of the Airline Safety and Federal Aviation Administration Extension Act of 2010, the pilot records database would have provided hiring employers relevant information about the first officer's employment history and long history of training performance deficiencies. So that is something that the FAA was supposed to be implementing and did not meet the deadline for. And so I think we should back up and talk about what the NTSB found was the probable cause of this particular crash. The aircraft was flying from... Jason, you actually took a photo of this plane on the morning of the flight, didn't you? Yeah, I was actually flying into Miami that morning. And that was the first time I had ever spotted one of the Atlas 76s in a Amazon Prime Air livery. So I happened to take a shot of it as we were touching down on the A321. We rolled by it. I took a picture of it and just kind of really didn't think anything of it. And that was unfortunately the aircraft that departed Miami en route to Texas later that day. It took me a couple hours to realize, but yeah, I had taken a photo of that very aircraft being loaded up with its cargo before it departed. So the accident happened when the jet entered a rapid descent from about 6,000 feet and impacted a marshy bay about 40 miles from Houston. The 
first officer had uh, the NDSB here says an inappropriate response to an inadvertent activation of the airplane's go around mode, resulting in his spatial disorientation that led him to place the airplane in a steep descent from which the crew did not recover. So the NTSB, what they're saying is that the go around mode was activated. So the go around moves the throttles full forward. And the NTSB concludes that the first officer experienced a pitch-up somatographic illusion. So a spatial disorientation that mistakes forward acceleration, so the feeling of moving faster, with the feeling of pitch-up. So instead of understanding that the aircraft was just moving in level flight faster, the first officer responded to that as a feeling of pitch up. And so his response to that was to pitch the aircraft down. And they were in a cloud layer. And by the time they came out of the cloud layer, realized what was happening, the maneuver was too late to recover from. Yeah. So the aircraft, it was found to be, as most people suspected, mechanically sound. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the aircraft. And it was rumored for a long period of time that someone in the flight deck may have accidentally hit the takeoff go around button, which, as Ian said, advanced the throttles to full thrust. And then for whatever reason, the first officer assumed felt like the aircraft was stalling and took the procedures to counteract that stall. But there was no stall warning. The aircraft did not alert to a stall. So he was indeed very disoriented. And by the time they put two and two together, it was just too late yeah. to recover. The NTSB put together a really good visualization and they released it. It's on YouTube. And so we'll put a link to that in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about this particular accident. The third report that came out this week, unfortunately- oh, This is a doozy. Yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find a full English translation yet. But if you speak French, we'll put a link to the in the show notes and you can- Google Translate or your favorite translation program do some work for you, such as it may be. But in July of 2018, a Royal Air Maroc ATR-72 was flying from Tangier to Al-Hosima. And on approach to the airport, the approach to this particular runway is over water. And on the approach, the aircraft descended far below where it should have been and actually struck the water a few times before they managed to go around and then safely diverted and landed. The aircraft was out of service from July to September for repairs and has been back in service ever since. So a whole lot going on there. Yeah. I believe, again, this report is not in English, but I do believe that there were some details that the ground proximity warning system that alerts the crew that they are on a course to impact terrain, which is never a good thing. I believe, if my memory serves me correct, that they had actually turned it off because in the past they had been getting, I believe, valid warnings triggering from the ground proximity warning system. And it was actually off on this, uh, this approach. Am I, I don't know why I remember that, but that's the kind of thing you don't forget after reading. How many times have we had accidents and sometimes fatal accidents because pilots have either disobeyed the recommendation of safety equipment on board or simply just turned it off? Yeah. I should say that no one on this particular flight was injured, just to set that aside. But 
one of the recommendations from the NTSB today about the Atlas flight was investigating the military style, basically automatic ground sensing, mm-hmm. where the aircraft says, oh, I'm about to hit the ground. I should not do that. Yeah, I don't know so, if that would necessarily so, apply with the ATR, but with the 767. Yeah. And then what Ian's talking about there is, I know of one very famous video. I don't remember which exact fighter I aircraft it's it is. I think it's an F-16. I think it's an F-16 where the pilot is incapacitated and it's in an uncontrolled dive. And once the ground proximity warning system kicks in, the aircraft actually recovers on its own. It pitches up and recovers, which is kind of amazing. Commercial aircraft do not have that feature that as a military only feature, but that would be just another layer of automation that a lot of people aren't exactly in love with. That's another view. However, not flying your plane into the sea, I find that to be a positive step. That's a big positive. Yeah. It's unconscionable to me that a pilot could, in any case, turn off a system like ground proximity warning that has been proven time after time to be such a lifesaver the number of impacts into terrain of commercial flights after that system has been rolled out is just crazy how infrequently that happens. But usually when that event does happen, it's because that system was either ignored or turned off for some reason. Let's turn our attention to the US specifically and talk about some things that have happened today and in the past week or so. Delta came out with their second quarter earnings report and it was Earnings report is not a good way to to phrase this anymore. (laughs) Delta came out with financial information, and some of the other airlines have warned of impending furloughs and layoffs. So I guess, Jason, I will turn this over to you, and you can tell me all about how bad things are. Bad. Not good. Thanks, Ian. All right. Great segment. Yeah. No. So in the second quarter, we all knew was going to be an absolute bloodbath when it comes to financials. That was the period when airlines were first reacting to the coronavirus pandemic, but before they had really been able to whittle down their capacity and they were flying flights basically all over the place empty. But for the second quarter, Delta recorded a pre-tax loss of $7 billion per share. Sorry, $7 billion total. <laughs> wasn't quite Not that per bad. share. That would be dramatic. Uh, yeah, it was $7 billion total, a loss of $9.01 per share. That's pretty dramatic. They ended the quarter with $15.7 billion in liquidity, which sounds like a lot, but it isn't. No, especially when they're burning, I think, what was it, $25 million a day? I want to say it was $15 million on their domestic operation and 10 on their international per day. So a few million here, a few million there, it's pretty soon we're talking about real money. Yeah, it adds up quickly. And having already announced and actually acted on some aircraft retirements, to refresh your memory, it has already retired its entire MD-88, MD-90 fleets. It had already announced the 777 fleet will exit entirely. And now they have added on to that portions of the 767-300ER and A320 fleets, which is no surprise. Those are elderly aircraft, let's be nice in saying that, but also the entire 737-700 fleet, which Delta only has 10, but those were a pretty specialized aircraft for them, able to operate to hot and high destinations in the Caribbean and South America. They were pretty specialized for those destinations, but Delta does not really have a direct replacement for that aircraft. And even though it was the aircraft of the highest cost per seat mile to operate, it was still beneficial for them to have that 
in their fleet. But now even the 700, the little fleet is gone or will be gone this year. Yeah, not a lot of surprises, I guess, but it's stark to see the actual numbers. Yeah, it's interesting. It's also interesting to me to think that the American and Delta have both announced pretty dramatic fleet retirements, while United, I don't believe, has announced anything officially. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head, what they've announced officially. But it'll be interesting to see how they reconfigure their fleet. They've been more conservative overall. Yes, United and Delta have been very conservative as opposed to American, which is not conservative. And given what we've seen in the past couple of weeks as far as the resurgence in COVID cases and the spike in certain destinations, I have a feeling that American's about to get bit. Yeah. Well, we talked about this on the last episode, the dramatic difference between the recovery plans where Delta and United were very restrained while American was kind of all out, let's fly everyone to the Gulf Coast in Florida and see what happens. We're already seeing that that was a bad decision at this point, that the coronavirus cases and Florida specifically, in typical Florida fashion, are breaking records day after day after day. And they're going to have to pretty dramatically pare back that schedule. So already, just two weeks later, it seems like, yeah, Americans' plan was a little too hasty. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly something to keep an eye on as airlines have already started to pare back their schedules for August and we're in mid-July at this point. So the waiting and seeing is really kind of being pushed back. But yeah, I guess we wait and see to how far things have to come back from where they were at the beginning of July or end of June, beginning of July. We'll see. And meanwhile, south of the border, Aeromexico, Delta's partner, first it announced bankruptcy. First and foremost, let's get that out of the way. But also it will retire five of 11 of its 737-700 aircraft, five of 35 737-800s, and all of its E-190s will be returned to lessors or parked permanently. So additional fleet extractions, I guess, is how you could call it. But coming back this week, in fact, tomorrow, so by the time the podcast comes out, it will be a few days into it, the Emirates A380 fleet is showing signs of life. Yeah, finally some good news. Yeah, London and Paris to start with on the 15th of July, and then slowly adding routes from there. But so far, London and Paris. So that'll be the daily Emirates EK1 and 2 to London, and then Paris will be EK7374. So, you know, not a huge thing, but every little bit helps. Yeah, I think we're definitely going to get to some point in the future where Emirates is the lone sole operator of the A380 globally. We've already seen them withdrawn from a bunch of fleets. We don't know what the status is on every airline. I don't think we've heard anything from British Airways. Don't know if we've heard anything from Etihad, but they're always struggling a little bit with their fleet. But just having the A380 come back for any airline is a step in the right direction. Right. And I don't think that it's too much to say that the last original operator, who knows what airline may come 10 years down the road or five years down the road and say, okay, we're going to pick up two or three and operate them in a certain way. But I think the last kind of original operator is certainly going to be Emirates, purely based on numbers at this point, unless they want to park 100 right away. I think we'll see them wind down. But yeah, I think the smaller operators are going to have a tough time bringing them back. Not necessarily small airlines, but airlines that are only operating a dozen or fewer. Um, So Qantas is parking theirs now. 
and they say three years, but will it be three years? Will it be longer? Will they not come back at all? I mean, there is so much uncertainty right now. It's hard to quantify how uncertain things are, but we'll go from there. Today, the South African Airways Rescue Plan was approved, so they're avoiding liquidation. Oh, great. We didn't think that they were going to be liquidated because they cannot be, I'll tell you, South African Airways, they just can't be liquidated. Yeah, only South African Airways and Alitalia could go into a global pandemic and an economic collapse and somehow come out the other side stronger. It's crazy. But here they are. Here they are. Let's do one more thing that I do not understand. Maybe you can explain it. Maybe you can't. Lufthansa has- No, no, I I can't. (laughs) I already know what you're going to ask me and no, I can't explain it. So Lufthansa has- This sounds like, I'll say what it is, and then I'll say what it sounds like. Lufthansa has a project named Ocean. It's not a new airline. It's just going to be an internal subsidiary that operates long-haul, low-cost destinations. Yeah. uh, I think- Stop us if you've heard this before. Yeah. It sounds like they took all of the bad ideas of June and came up with a different name. Well, it's a bit more complex than that. Lufthansa Group, they've tried a lot of different things to cut down costs on long-haul, low-cost operations recently. They had that stint where CityJet operated a fleet of Lufthansa A340-300s to leisure destinations. That didn't really work. And up until the pandemic, they had another operator. I forget who exactly it was. Do you remember who they just shut down recently? Mm, I don't remember. but. They've had a good number of different other AOCs or the operating carriers to try to run these flights for them. And this has been a pre-existing plan to consolidate that into one fake airline to rule all of the (laughs) low-cost long haul for them. One fake airline to rule them all. Because you'll never see a plane in Ocean Airlines livery or whatever. It's really just about crew costs and making it affordable to operate. Right, right. Back in the day, it was called Jump originally, I think. Call it whatever you want. It just keeps getting even more Lufthansa by any other name. Lufthansa, exactly. Would still smell as German? I don't know. But thank you for not explaining it because I understand the business concept behind it, but the whole implementation thing just to seems the end like user, it's, to the passenger, it is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. Excellent. Cool. On that note, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some things that have happened that may mean something, might not mean anything, and go from there. What do you say? I like things. All right. We'll be right back after a short break. Welcome back. We now go back to 2017 when Qatar Airways was restricted from flying through a number of countries, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and Egypt. Among them, they lodged protests with the International Civil Aviation Organization. They lodged protests with various other organizations. It worked its way through various arbitration bodies and courts. And today, the International Court of Justice said what is happening, the restrictions put in place are not legal. Ostensibly, that means that Qatar Airways can now operate through those 
airspace. Possibly. We'll uh, see. Not necessarily fly to those destinations from which they have been restricted. But the big thing here is the absolute inefficiency of the routings that Qatar now needs to take because of the restrictions, where they're taking extremely inefficient routings, especially to destinations in Africa and South America. What this has done is affected the way Qatar flights get into and out of Qatar, as well as fly to to certain destinations. This is a potentially very big deal for Qatar Airways if they can start operating through airspace that they haven't been able to since 2017, especially these days where saving every penny is crucial. And I'm sure this will potentially add up to millions of dollars in savings on, on fuel and aircraft utilization. Absolutely. So we'll see what happens. The decision came out today, but we'll see as far as implementation of that, what happens, and then where we go from there. But I'm not optimistic that things will change quickly, if at all. No. Uh, but we'll I'm, see. I'm still quite happy that I have DWC to Doha in my flight records that I've there you taken go. in the past. That's a double rarity now. Yeah, absolutely. A couple things before we wrap up this particular episode. Breeze Airways, your favorite new airline and mine, now is in the process of getting the former Compass Airlines operating certificate to start operations later this year. Because when I think of great ideas, I think let's start an airline in 2020. Yeah. And Breeze is not alone. Maybe we'll get to that in a moment. But their plan has shifted a little bit. They were supposed to launch up this year. That's been pushed back for very obvious reasons to next year. They were all supposed to acquire, I believe, some E-195s from Azul, which has common ownership with David Nealman. And I think that plan is derailed to the point where they're taking E-190s from another airline that's retiring them these days. I don't remember exactly who was suspected. Do you happen to recall offhand? No, but there's no shortage of retiring E-190s at the moment. Yeah, so they can get preferential. Oh, it was American. It's rumored that they could possibly be taking the retired E-190s that came off from American very recently. So that might be very interesting until they get those A220s from Airbus. Right, right. So yeah, a lot going on there. Yeah, they're not the only one starting an airline. That's true. But they are one of the only ones starting kind of from nothing. Right. At this point, I mean, there's Air Arabia Abu Dhabi, which is starting this week. But those aircraft are already kind of in existence. Those are Air Arabia aircraft just slotting over. So not quite the same, but it's just very interesting. Also that Canadian one, which I can't remember the name of. Beginning OWG, I I believe. With the 737-400s. So yes. So Nolanor has been working on this for quite some time, actually. And they're currently partnering with travel partners to operate to leisure destinations in the Caribbean and operate some flights from Canada to Cuba. I mean, based on travel patterns, it makes good sense to me. Whether or not it makes still makes good sense in the current climate, I guess, remains to be seen. They'll find out. Uh, they'll find out. A couple programming notes. I was wrong and right and wrong again. Just how wrong, though? Well, not very, and not consequentially. It turns out that the high-fly A380 is the one that got rid of the seats and became optimized for pallet cargo and not human cargo. Mm, Not only were you wrong, but I told you so. Well, yes, correct. 
it turns out that Lufthansa Technik supervised the conversion program, if that's what we want to keep calling it. And it wasn't necessarily carried out at a Lufthansa Technik location. That's where the scent got thrown off. The other thing is that Qantas is out there joyriding. It's 747. It's last 747, V-H-O-E-J. And there are two more flights coming up. The first one from Sydney to Sydney took place yesterday. Then there's Brisbane and Canberra on the 15th and 17th local time. So depending on where you are. And then the 22nd of July, the aircraft will depart Sydney. They haven't said where for, but likely the US for retirement as that's where their other non-museum piece 747s have gone. So a thing to watch if you are into airlines saying goodbye to 50 years of history. That's sad. It is very sad. Yeah. And once again, if you were waiting, biding your time to fly a 747 or an A380, you may have waited too long. I think that there's going to be a number of opportunities to fly 747s and A380s, but they're going to be more difficult. You're going to have to go out of your way to get to it. Right. You're not going to be able to just book a flight. Right now, you can Uh, do both on British Airways. So that's cool. Well, for now. (laughs) For now it'll quickly become much more difficult and require more concerted effort when booking flights to be on one of those aircraft. But times change, and I guess we're in a very changing time. That was deep. Was it, though? I feel just a sense of who's next every time we talk about these. What fleet planning department is going... Well, it's time to put out the press release that says we're getting rid of... Well, this time, two weeks from now, we'll have American and United's lack of earnings call. So we'll see. The how much money did we lose over the past three months call. Whoops. Uh, Not even a whoops, just that's where we are. But hopefully, you know, in two weeks, we can talk about a declining number of cases and future planning and it'll be exciting. I'm not holding out hope. That's probably a good decision. Not to hold that hope. All right. Fair enough. Well, on that sunny note, as so many of our recent episodes have ended, shall we call it an episode? Yep. We're done here. All right. This has been episode 89 of AvTalk. 